Hi, everybody. It's Max Bredos. Thanks for checking out my new podcast, The Soccer OG. That's me. Now available where all podcasts can be found. This is a podcast where we're all going to roll up our sleeves, get a little bit smarter on the beautiful game. We'll love, we'll laugh, we'll even lock horns. Please subscribe, and while you are there, rate and review the podcast. It will last forever. But right now, it's time for the show. Vamos! And they thought we would never make it. <laughs> Soccer OG, episode two. Here we go. Another massive weekend. And to join me to discuss it all here shortly, Keith Costigan, the voice of the Seattle Sounders, also at Fox Soccer, old friend of mine. I've known him for longer than I care to mention. But we will we'll talk about a variety of things. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on his beloved Liverpool. We'll talk the North London Derby. He also covers Liga MX for Fox, so let's talk about Chivas America. It was part of a big rivalry weekend in football. There was also a podcast that came out last week, World Soccer Talk, our friends Kartik and Christopher, and they asked why there's still so many English voices covering the sport here in the United States. Keith and I were both mentioned in the podcast, so I figured it's a good time. We've got that energy going. We'll keep it going, and we'll see why is that? What is the right way to approach it? There's a lot to it. You know, I've been doing this my whole career, and it's something I've, uh, I've had to deal with. And uh, there are good reasons to go that route, and there are reasons to go maybe another route. And there's a system in place that we all kind of have to play part of that emanates from Great Britain. So we'll talk about that here shortly. A couple of things I have my eye on this week. Massive week for U.S. soccer. The men, the under-23s, will be finally. We didn't think we were going to have an Olympic Games, but lo and behold, it looks like it's going to occur. I know a few weeks ago, people were like, it's not going to happen. There's no way they're going to get all these athletes to come there. I will say it's going to be Olympic Games unlike any we've seen before. But with the vaccine rollout, cases dropping in lots of parts of the world, not all parts of the world, that we're certainly heading in that direction. And the U.S. men's team has not qualified for an Olympics. But they've done it just once since 2000. So there's a lot of pressure here. And I would say very little doubt on this that part of the reason the U.S. didn't qualify for the last World Cup is because they missed these Olympics. That cycle of players missing these big games, that big game experience, certainly came into view when they were unable to qualify for Russia in 2018. I strongly stand by that, and I know I'm not alone in that situation. There's a lot in play here. It's not a recognized FIFA date, so Jason Christ limited with the players he can bring in, as in the majority of the European-based players, guys like Brendan Harrison and Daryl DK, who would be great, aren't going to be able to help the qualifying process. So it's a 20-man group that they, MLS heavy, it's a strong group, it's not as strong as Mexico. Mexico is loaded. But remember, there's two bids. So you almost let Mexico get one of them, and you're in the same group. So as long as you qualify for the semifinals, you'll face somebody on the other end that you will be favored again. Could it be Honduras? Honduras has qualified for four of the last five World Cups. So maybe you don't want any part of that smoke. But Canada, the United States, A, have to qualify. They have their first game against Costa Rica. If they win that game, they'll be in good shape. If they don't win that game... I don't know. It's it's nerve-wracking because this is an, a very important. It kind of snuck up on us. And without these key players involved in, in many cases, and go, Reggie Cannon, Brian Reynolds, these are players that you can slot right in there and keep pace with Mexico has... <laughs> Their squad is insane, quite frankly. They have guys that are logging tons of minutes in Liga MX. Liga MX can let these players go. JJ Macias, JJ Macias, Alexis Vega, those two from Chivas, Eric Aguirre, Pachuca, Roberto Alvarado, great player for Cruz Azul, Sebastian Cordova, maybe the best of the bunch. And he'll be in there. So the United States, you know, it doesn't mean Mexico are going to pop right through, but they are going to be the team to beat. I'd be shocked if they didn't make it. And remember, they won the Olympics. They got the gold medal in 2012. 
So looking forward to that. And I will tell you, I'm quite nervous. Now, something else happened this weekend that put a, a, a grin on my face. So Eric Lamella for Tottenham Hotspur lost to Arsenal 2-1. to one. Incredible goal he scored, which is where he grabbed his left foot, wrapped it around his planted right foot, and tapped the ball, or not tapped it, banged it off his toes, the back of the net. This is a play that originated from South America, specifically in Argentina, specifically a player, Richard Bocchini, who really made the Rabona famous. And we haven't seen it anywhere else. So some people call a bicycle kick a bicycle kick. Latin America, they call it a chilena. But there's no real name for a Rabona. So after it happened, Gary Lineker tweeted, and he referenced Rabona. Arlo White called it. He mentioned Rabona. Not everyone, but over in, in England, they... I think they're getting warming up to the idea that that's a Rabona, which it is. I'd like to call it a Chilena over a bicycle kick. I'd love to call it a Taquito over a back heel. But I will settle for Rabona at this point. So it was good to see that emerging uh, from our global game, which the world starts to feel a little smaller when we're all using the same terms. We use some, some English terms and we use some Latin terms. And I think we can close that gap a bit because it is a big game. We need to make the world smaller now. So Rabona is in. Other ones, to be determined. We are just getting started here on the Soccer OG. When I return, my good friend Keith Costigan inside the business end to tangle on the hot topics. You're at the right place. Here we go, the soccer OG, a gentleman who I've hooked horns with many times before, just in a verbal sparring way, Keith Costigan. How long have I known you? Wow, uh, I, I would imagine 2004 was the first time we met. Oh, memory. Yeah, I think, I think the first game we did together would have been around 2005, game there's about 200 fans in there and then every 30 minutes there was this it was in a part of Toulon where it must have been close to a hospital there was always that ambulance it's like wee, wee, wee. yeah yeah that's true yeah <laughs> I was like what's I, going I, on in this city one of, one of my first memories was they didn't you didn't get the pronunciation guys from any teams and I, I remember you you had on your computer French to uh, you know French pronunciation so you would type in the name and while we're on air, you would hit the, the cough button and you would, it would be like, Jeremy, allez, allez, And you would go straight back on and go, allez, allez. So you got, you got perfect on all of these names. And I was, wow. uh, I mean, it, you always made me laugh and it was always fun working with you. Out of work, I remember we were, I was supposed to meet you for the FA Cup final, Liverpool, West Ham. Yeah. I got slightly overserved the night prior. It was a it, listen. We're on the west coast. When was that? Like five? We have to be there at five a.m. Six a.m. Yeah, it was. It, it was. A, it was like a. I think it was like a seven a.m. kickoff. So, seven a.m. Yeah. That's not that yeah. early then. Yeah. I should have made it. Yeah. And it was a good game. Yeah, it was good for me. Maybe maybe you're glad you well, didn't make it. Was it West Ham? What they had? A, they had a one goal lead or two. They were they were up two. They were up twice. They were up twice in the game, and then Gerrard scored the absolute Roy the Rovers goal with yeah. four seconds left from 35 yards and it was uh, it was I watched in I think I watched in the cock and bull in Santa Monica which is like a pro Liverpool bar and it was is that still there no I don't, yeah I, you know I don't know I haven't I haven't been back there in years but it was that morning was yeah you might you, you, you might not have walked it walked out of there alive with your hammers uh hammers kit on there are two pubs historically in Southern California that we would attend games there's the cock and bull and there's yep. the old king's head and I don't want to take shots at these places, but not exactly all modern conveniences inside or, you know, the, the new the new bar smell. I mean, it's like curry and vinegar and who knows what else. It's A smelled, lot of beer has been spilt there. You're being kind on the curry, curry and vinegar. And I'll say the service was very traditional English, which means it was absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> I, I, real quick, when the, the bar girl once at... Uh, cock and bull was so bad she was annoying me so i noticed that they had a, a phone behind so i kept calling the phone on my cell phone so she kept having to go over and answer it and i'd hang up and she was getting completely pissed off so this went on for about a half an hour 
I said, there, there you go. That's for being rude the whole time. Yeah, I got her back. And, and tiny TVs. I mean, there's now you yeah. go to these sports bars and there's 80 inch televisions, and here you're you're sharing it with 20 people, <laughs> a 12 inch screen. I go, what are we doing? Anyway, I have a lot more to discuss. So I don't want to dwell on that, but that was a, that was a good walk down. Uh, what is it? Memory lane. Memory lane. Memory lane. Yes. Thank you. Well. We'll see how much we can get in because we have a lot of ground to cover. I want to start with the Premier League because I want to ask you about Liverpool in a moment. But this Sunday's games, Arsenal coming back to defeat Tottenham Hotspur. Mikel Arteta earlier in the week mentioned that it felt like his team was falling into place. It was all starting to click in. So this game starts and you see it. The midfield, you know, Thomas Partey and Odegaard finding their sp- finding their position. Odegaard would score here. He scored in back-to-back games. And then to hear a manager say that and for them to click in, and yes, Arsenal have a lot of work still to do. You you see progress, but this was, uh, they really beat Tottenham Hotspur pillar to post in this. It was featuring the Eric Lamella goal. Oh. And before I continue on, in we're going to talk about, you know, the, the semantics of sorts between the European and American broadcasters, but the word Rabona, which start, it's it's from South America, right? Yep. The Argentines started that play where you put your foot around, hit it off your toes, off your, your planted leg, and it's Rabona. And I, I finally see seeing it starting to be used more and more. Um, Arlo used it a little in it as well. Uh, Gary Lineker tweeted and mentioned Rabona. So can we just stamp it and call it Rabona? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's there's no ifs, ands, or buts. No, no, no. This is this is something from, and you know, not to not to again dwell on the past, but you did Argentine soccer on on Sunday afternoons at Fox, and and this was these moments were seen in Argentine. These moments were born in South America. So yeah, Rabona is. You might not have got it like ten or fifteen years ago. You probably would have got more of that. What's he trying to do? Why doesn't he play with his other foot? But now I think people have the. Uh, the, not just the understanding of it, but I mean, the respect for an inc- what a goal. I mean, it was outrageous to see that finish. <laughs> it was a great port, part for Tottenham Hotspur, and then it, it, it kind of fell apart. By the way, I'd like Rabona and Chilena, which is bicycle kick. I'd like that, although I keep trying to find out the history of Chilena, and it's not really etched in stone, and no one really claims it. And the other one's Taquito, which is like it's a heel kick, sort of yeah. speak. But those three, and I'll, I'll get your thoughts on Arsenal, but I think everything on their checklist was good they gave away the goal they came back Pierre Emmerich Aubameyang couldn't play Arteta wants to send a message they win the game he doesn't even set foot on the field you know that's going to register with Aubameyang with the rest of the team starting to come all together Lamella scores a goal then he gets a red card it was I mean this was bad this was bad for Spurs and Arsenal just really owned the day in a game that I thought was headed to maybe nil nil and we had a really entertaining North London derby. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think the first thing I respect coaches that challenge the biggest names in their team. It, it's it's easy sometimes to pick on, you know, the weakest player or the, the out of form player, and you know, to to drop your captain before the game and say, look, he was late for a meeting. We're going to go into the biggest game of our season uh, without him. I, I think that, that that showed some courage from Arteta. And then when Arsenal went down a goal to Tottenham, you think of Mourinho in the past and you go, a Mourinho team up a goal against the run of play. We've heard that storyline before. They're going to just, you know, Catanazio this game and just make it like impossible. But they got their deserved leveler before the break. They, they got the deserved winner and they had to hang on a little bit at the end, even though they, they were upper man. So I think Arteta, it couldn't have gone any better. I do think they're building. I do think they're trending in the right direction. And, it, look, a word of warning for Tottenham fans, for me, I, I know they've they've had a couple of wins in a row, but this is prime Harry Kane time. I mean, these are these years are the time that you have to take advantage of because he's one of the best in the world. I think it was a mistake to let Pochettino go. I think they should have been allowed, he should Agreed. have been allowed to refresh. But now, all of a sudden, the, the, the story has changed from Pochettino guaranteeing you top four to Mourinho turning it into we're the plucky underdogs who could make top four and now we're in the Europa League well a couple of years ago you were in the Champions League so I mean you're, you're wasting the time it. of yeah he, he spins it so well but you're wasting the time of one of one of the the, the best generational English strikers to, to to play the game and it'll be interesting to see what he does at the end of the season if they don't make Champions League 
Yeah, and they're very flawed in, in, in so many positions. It just, I don't think talent-wise have it there. It's interesting what you said about Pochettino because I, COVID obviously has given these managers a little bit more uh, leash with regards to taking that job because Arteta, just a few months ago, they they wanted him out. I mean, yeah, it was a yeah, terrible form. Well. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer probably was close to that. I don't know, if not, not by the club, but certainly by the court of public opinion. And even Mourinho's had these ups and downs, but I don't think any of these guys are going to be relieved. And it's a good thing because it's a weird season. And other than Man City, no one's really running away. And you can fix this in a few weeks. Yeah, I, I think I think the one with Mourinho, Mourinho has that long-term contract. And with the pandemic as well, you got to remember, all these clubs are hemorrhaging money. So in the past, you go, how, how much is it to sign off and move on from this coach? 15 million, do it. Now well, it's kind of well, like... You should be doing that. <laughs> Yes, uh, let, let's rebuild. But I, I do think there's a there's a theme with uh, Mourinho now. For so long, he was successful. But at Chelsea, he, he kind of turned nasty on some of his players. I, I think people always tell me how secure he is and how confident. I think he comes across as the most insecure coach. Oh, yeah. Because he doesn't keep things in. He wants to let you know, my players let me down. Like, you know, if we did well, it was my my team talk. If we did badly, they just didn't listen to me. And that, 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 that doesn't, doesn't last very long in a dressing room. So if you're Gareth Bale, if you're, you know, Deli Ali, those kind of players, you're going, man, I'm tired. And they have influence in the dressing room on others too. So today, I, I would imagine, you know, Tottenham players at some stage afterwards said, why do we sit back so much, man? Why, you know, we're ahead of them in the league. Why are they dictating this game? Uh, we saw with Ronaldo at Real Madrid and, and those kind of things. So Mourinho's at that point in his career where, he has to he has to find a way to get the best out of everyone um and and you know get the best maximize the squad i don't think he's doing it i i really really don't and, and it always very dysfunctional for me but he gets a result here or there that kind of extends it and they they they've had you know they have a pulse in the europa league so it, it it's pushing off the situation but i can't imagine they're a happy group of players gareth bale they played again it just didn't work this time and i and i I think people were excited about Gareth Bale getting more responsibility, but um, he came off and he didn't seem too bothered by it. And Don Hosford back to the drawing board. I don't think that that's not a top four team. No, but I, I think they're a top four squad. Certainly yes. one that can challenge. Um, but, but the Gareth Bale one, this is the interesting one. I, I argue today, people say, oh, well, he doesn't look by. It, it's, it's difficult reading body language. People react in different ways. And, you know, some people are very emotional and, Gareth, Gareth probably isn't. You look at him and, and his emotions never really change. So I don't know what's going on. Do I look at him when he's coming off today and say, man, he's like distraught, but maybe he's shown respect to his manager and going, I'm going to keep this behind the scenes and, you know, you know, try to keep level about it. Um, but ultimately, I, I think I think Mourinho's played pretty difficult with him this year and being pretty vocal, uh, you know, to the press and as a player, that like I said, that, that that those kind of things don't last very long, and I don't think the relationship behind the scenes is is very good between those two. Let's talk your beloved Liverpool. I'll skip Manchester United. We'll talk about them. Good, good. <laughs> good. I, I I think Manchester they're doing a great job. They're getting the results, but uh, work in progress. Liverpool play at Wolves Monday. They're do they got the big result against Leipzig, which will help after an incredibly bad run of form. They have ten games left. Six points out of the top four, which doesn't seem like that much. They're getting healthy again. We, I, I think the Leipzig game show how effective Fabinho. This is not my original thought. Everyone seemed to be saying that. Thiago gets to play in position. Jota is back. All good news. But now I'm curious as to see if this is something that works in Europe, but maybe they get back to the grind of the Premier League and it doesn't. And I think one of the issues at play is these clubs in the Premier League have seen Liverpool, how they build up and what they, what their tendencies are. So they seem to be able to expect it a little bit more. And it has shown when they've dropped points to teams, they shouldn't have dropped points. So it's a lot to play for. I, I felt for uh, Jurgen Klopp because obviously the passing of his mother and he couldn't go back to Germany and everything was happening. It, it was screaming for a guy to maybe take, uh, a one-week sabbatical just to get right. But we know in this sport that can't happen. Yeah. But now you have these 10 games. I The Wolves game looms large. And then if they can get into a rhythm, can they get back in the top four? Their schedule would allow it. However, they 
they've been losing to teams like Fulham and Sheffield United and Brighton. So you can't really say that either. Maybe they can get up. They have a game with Manchester United down the stretch. It's hard to put your finger on it. The Leipzig put some lipstick, but is it a pig still? <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll, do you think that they have enough to kind of get in that position where they need to be and have European football next year? Yeah, it's. I do think we're very close to the point where Liverpool's eggs are going out of the Premier League top four basket and, and all into the Champions League. Um, and that's a big shift, right? Because yeah, you have for to sure, be realistic. Sure. And they're yeah. going to be in the Champions League for at least another month. They're through and then the, the wait for the quarterfinal opponent. And then even if they get eliminated at the quarterfinals, there's, that's still three weeks a month before you shut down European football. Yeah, no. So I've had Liverpool fans, you know, message me and they say, look, we're all in. I think we'll win the Champions League. And I'm going, hang on a minute. We can't be Fulham, but we're going to go all the way in a tournament that still has Bayern Munich, Manchester. So you, you have to put perspective. You're going to need a lot of things to go your way to win the Champions League. Um, but I, I liken it this week to Liverpool have a system that, you know, Van Dijk and Gomez are so pacey. They, they can play a massively high line. So they go out and then Liverpool have slow centre-backs or, you know, midfielders playing at centre-back. They can't play the role the same way, yet Liverpool are playing the same way. So all of a sudden, their centre-backs are chasing balls in over the top and they don't have the pace to deal with, you know, pacey attackers. You know, Adam Ola Lukman for Fulham the other day looked like, you know, world-class winger and, and he's a good player. But, you know, the, these are things that I think Liverpool have to address. And I think after that game, Klopp said, hey, we need more protection in midfield. We need to stop that ball going forward. That's why Fabinho came back there. But I think Liverpool will be better over the rest of the season. But there's so many teams above them in that race. You're asking all of those teams to play badly. I, I don't think, I, for me, Manchester United are in. Leicester are in. So, you know, Chelsea, you, you have Tottenham still in the mix as well. You have, my, uh, you know, your beloved West Ham too, mm. uh, who will fall away. They will. They will. <laughs> have, I think Chelsea might too. I think I think that's the thing. The teams in front of you will struggle. Well, the, the Chelsea have the the final four games of the season are really difficult. But you look at that Chelsea squad. Like, how did they become the plucky underdogs too? They spent like two hundred million. Yeah, it's like, well, you know, it'd be great to make top four. You you bought Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. You brought in Thiago Silva. You have Christian Pulisic who can barely get on the field. Come on. This is a squad that by by every, you know, means that they have should be challenging Man City at the top of the table. So I I, I don't think, I, if I had to, you know, put money on it, I wouldn't put money on Liverpool making the top four right now. I think Chelsea are going to get that fourth position. And I do think Chelsea get it. And Leicester, I think they're going to probably finish third. They just keep churning it out. They have no fear. But... You don't think Liverpool's going to win the Champions League, do you? There's no way. I'm, 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 no, I'll never You're say You're thinking it. I no, can see listen. it in your face. Why not? Well, you're, you're going, yeah, they're going to win it. We're hey, European look, specialists. That's what you're thinking, aren't you? I, I, we're fans. Like, I wake up every morning believing that it's going to be the greatest day ever. Like, it's just, that's, oh, come that's, on. that's who we are. Like, if you do not believe in your team, don't, don't support them. You know, it's, uh, I've, I've heard other people say, I don't want to allow myself to think that. I'll just get my hopes up. And I'm like, Life's about getting your hopes up. Like, I love dreaming about things. In 2005, we went to the Champions League final with Igor Bishkan in the side. The, the, I don't know whether you remember, Liverpool fans made the, uh, the banner. It said, Igor Biskovanovic used to be atrocious instead of supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. So, I mean, he, Jimmy Traore, uh, you know, was, was a, a squad player. He that? started... I mean, Anthony Letelic, Florimon Sinapongo. You, you, you never heard of some of these players again. Sinapongo, I haven't heard that name in a while. So, so He's gone either. Yeah, so, for, so Liverpool have history in the Champions League. But for me, the, the key in those years was the fans getting behind them at Anfield. Without that, it's been so tough. But yeah, I'm not ruling Liverpool out. I'm not ruling Jurgen Klopp out. He's, he's been, in, uh, you know, been in Liverpool four years. He went out in the round of 16, he went to the Champions League final, went to the final, and he went to the Europa League final. He has an incredible record in these competitions. It's it's remarkable. If not for Karius, who knows? And the uh, Salah injury, yeah. I, I thought they were going to win that game, but they yeah. could have been back-to-back. -back. You make a very fair point. But let's, because you're a respected member of the media, I'll, I'll, I'll take your heart out of this <laughs> next subject. And, you know, I was looking at the European leagues and a lot of developments, Bayern really grabbing control of the Bundesliga again, PSG losing, so the French League looks like it's going to be a fun watch running in. Atletico, I think they're going to get caught here the way they are playing. I don't even, it's, 
it's really not pleasant to watch. And Real Madrid and Barcelona charging down fast. And I kind of want to touch on Barcelona and then the Serie A, Inter 1, Lautaro scoring the goal. They're nine points up on Milan. I think Milan are done. Ten points up on Juventus. I don't want to say that Juventus are done. But you have Messi and Ronaldo now out of the Champions League with the chance to really chase for this trophy, which really means a lot because now these conversations are coming up. Juventus, Ronaldo's contract next year is astronomical. You'd probably think they'd want to get out of it, but nobody's going to want to get into a contract like that. Messi's going to be free agent. Barcelona's throwing everything their way to bring him back, which I don't know if that's the best option, but I understand there's a dollar sign attached to having these guys with these clubs. They're the biggest stars in the world. But in order for, I think, to really to really agree with the direction of those clubs staying connected to those star players, you want to see something here. Ronaldo scores a hat trick. Inter look, Inter look fantastic. I don't think they're going to get caught. The only reason I think they might is because they are Inter- but everything's, like I mentioned, Arsenal, things are falling in place for them. South American qualifiers aren't going to take away Lautaro and Alexis Sanchez and Vecino, who would probably go. So they get to keep those guys intact. And they've won, was it seven seven straight wins? Eight straight yeah, wins. Yeah, Nine I'm, points I'm, clear. This is They're getting results in all sorts of shapes. They're deep. This has to be their year. Yeah, I, I would say... Normally, I would say the same as you. I would say Inter, uh, I'm not going to, you know, I know Juve have the game in hand and they play each other again in May. But the couple of things that stand out for me, Juve, I, I think they have uh, they have the capability of dropping more points. I don't think Pirlo has, I don't blame it all on Pirlo. I think he inherited a squad that um, had almost become bored of winning Serie A. They, they were winning it every year. And it became, eh, we want the Champions League and, and the focus is there. And, and you can say, oh yeah, well, they're out of that now. They're going to be more, for nah, it, it's the, the, the mental cloud over, over the, the, the club now of, oh, we're out of Europe again. That, that's going to play a part. I, I think, I know Ronaldo got the hat-trick this weekend, but I, I think ultimately they'll drop points. And for Inter, they have, you know, one of the best coaches in the world. If he wasn't such a, um, a difficult guy, I guess is the way of putting it. To yeah, deal he, was, with. Uh, he was suspended for this game. So he had to be up in the... Uh... Yeah, Conte for me is a funny one. I, I remember interviewing him, and uh, we did it through an interpreter, and uh, the interpreter was... Yeah, yeah, but the minute I asked the question, I said, do you need that translated? And he went, no, I understand the question, but I will answer in Italian. Grazie. You know, yeah, he, he was... He's For me, he's an incredible coach. He has a system. He, you know what way he plays, and he has got the best out of a player I feel like we should be talking about more. Uh, on the on the very top of European football, which is Romelu Lukaku, um, I would argue Manchester United's troubles this year without a real number nine who's scoring goals. I think you add Lukaku back into that Manchester United team, and they may be a, a lot closer to Manchester City than they are right now. That's how highly I rate him. I think he has been absolutely sensational this year, and um, I have to say, I know he's an ex-Man United player, but. I'm happy to see Lukaku, you know, lead that intercharge. And I think uh, I think he's going to end that dominance of Juve this year. And we need that. We need that in the top leagues. We don't want teams winning nine, 10, 11 times True. in a row. It's, 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 not good. Stale. it's not good for the fan. Yeah. And I think with uh, I, I, Lukaku's been amazing. He's done things I didn't think was in his bag of tricks. You know, these 40-yard runs, playing balls in behind defenders. Not your traditional number nine back-to-goal guy, which he's never been, but... He's really expanded that role in this system. And I, I think you could argue that Inter have the best player in Serie A in Lukaku, the guy we'd call the MVP, and the second best in Lautaro, which yeah. I when, when Inter won, I was on social media and all the, the big wig Italian social media handles, all say, all say none of them said what I said. Hey, this is Inter. Don't get ahead of yourselves. All of them kind of said, engrave the trophy. It's over. Yeah. Which I was like, whoa. So they know more than I do. <laughs> this is a different inter. But but I agree with Lataro. And, and that's one thing I like about Conte. He's found a way to get the best out of two two alphas for me. Um, two alpha strikers, which is sometimes you say, well, who's going to go? No, nah, he, he's got them both in the positions where they're going to excel. Yep. It looks to me like they enjoy playing with each other. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to watch. And I would like to see, just as someone who grew up watching, you know, Serie A football as well, I'd like to see those Italian teams start to get back into Champions League and you yeah, know create create some create some waves there as well. They haven't been good, but I think this Inter Milan team, 
you know, if they maybe add a Gini Wijnaldum, which is, you know, something that they've talked about going into next year, they could potentially do, do a lot better than they did this year in Champions League. We are recording this. This has been a big day of rivalries and there's Boca River. I, I didn't watch it. I'll watch some highlights of it. I can't, we, we can't watch everything. We can't watch everything. Did it end? Is it, is it, it's, what was I it? think it, last one, I checked, one? it was 1-1. One, one. Yeah. But it was, it was the Seville Derby, <clears throat> Real Betis and Sevilla, the North London, and we're not going to watch it, but it's coming up. We're recording this a little bit before it's Chivas America in League MX. You are covering League MX pretty intimately with Fox. And if you haven't heard Keith on the broadcast, he does a fantastic job learning the inner workings, doing it with a lot of passion and covering every, leaving no stone unturned, whatever it is. You're doing a, you do a stand-up job, Keith. I appreciate that, man. I learned from the best. My mentor. <laughs> my mentor, Max. <laughs> so, I mean, I, we'll talk about what's happening in Liga MX. It's going to be a really compelling run-in, and they have the Liga, so 12 teams make the playoffs, and the four teams get the bye. So it's going to be forgiving for teams that are struggling, like Leon, who I would I, – I'd still, I'd I still, still put on them, them at yeah. the top of my list. Chivas, yeah. who are not doing great, but going on. But with all these rivalries – and Chivas America, and this is obviously going to miss the fans. This is right up there when I think of games that I get really excited about. Obviously, here in the Americas, we're in Los Angeles, so we feel it. I was driving in Santa Monica. I saw a guy with the Chivas flag. These, I think Goal.com said that these have the second and third highest number of fans of any club. I don't know if that is accurate, but it's, a, it's an astronomical. Chivas, 33 million. America, 29 million. So they're very heavily supported, both sides of the border. This is two very different teams. We know about Chivas being the team of the people versus Club America, the team of, I don't want to say the wealthy folks, because there's a lot of regular guys that love team up Club America. You don't have to have, be a millionaire with a house there in Mexico City in one of the, the plush neighborhoods. But it, it has those really die-cast different descriptions on the teams it's got a great history great players it's gotten ugly i think it's it's also one of these big rivalries like real madrid barcelona where the two teams aren't in the same city it could be easy for club america to have stronger rivalries which they do with cruz azul and pumas chivas with atlas but it's not the case it's a great game i'm so glad it's here and i look forward to it all the time and i would put it in somewhere close to the top five of rivalries all over the planet. Yeah, it, it, it's, I've, I was having a big debate with, I, th I think, you know, David Mossy, um, you know, our, our statistician at Fox, and, you know, he's a aficionado of every sporting league. And we were talking about, you know, when this pandemic is over, what games are we going to go watch, you know, and in person? And, and we both said Chivas America is one that just jumps out. And for me, you know, coming over here to America initially, it was one of the first things I learned about. It was how massive the fact, like any any time I was talking to my friends, you know, who had come from Mexico, it was like, who do you support? And it was like, I support Chivas, he supports America. And it was like, wait, are these the, the overwhelming number of people that I know supported one of these two teams. And, and it was just, you know, to watch the first game, to see the passion, um, it does. It reminds me of like a, a Celtic Rangers in terms of the, the 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 passion bubbling underneath the surface when these two meet. So I love watching them play. I was just saying Santi Solari has done well. His team are you know riding high without being really spectacular. But all of that can go like that. If you lose your first match against Chivas and then Vucetic wins, it doesn't matter where you are on the table. Um, fans will be absolutely livid at. Solari if they lose the game so that's when you know you have a rivalry that transcends everything league position trophies everything it's about beating your biggest rival and and, and this is yeah I mean I, to, to put it on a list I, I hate doing that but yeah it's it's got to be top five and I and I promised sure. I promised when we did this program I wasn't going to do lists or no Mount Rushmore if I hear no Mount, Mount Rushmore, Rushmore I'm out of here <laughs> so we're not, not putting it we just saying it's important it's an important yes. game yeah I, I, I we were talking before we started recording is Santiago Solari has done a great job. And one thing, as you probably know, Chivas, only Mexican players and Club America is becoming more and more international with players from everywhere. I mean, they have a Spanish kid on their team now. Yeah. So it's, 
it's Santiago Solari's done a nice job, but it's, you know, I've heard people say this. It's not a team that blows you away. They, they grind out results. It's very practical They're boring, in nature. They're boring, Max. They're, They're boring. boring. Yeah. So, I mean, Chivas, are, Chivas have a thrill in them, but it hasn't yeah. done them any good because they're I, they're intense so i, I love um, i love doing uh, doing chivas games when when i'm doing them with marisa do because you talk about passion you've got to hear marisa do say jota jota macias like jota, he, jota, macias. Uh, he, he absolutely loves it so um yeah I, I i think i think chivas you know obviously knocked him out of Ligia, you know last time out and you know he herrera loses his job loses to chivas then loses to LAFC, almost loses his face to Ante Razov as well. So, you know, he had a bad couple of weeks. Um, you know, but these are these are the games that can define a, a manager. So Salari wins this and they move on and keep keeping successful. Um, he, he's going to be well revered. But but this game is is, is going to be an early defining moment as uh, as his time as manager. You have Macias, who's, by the way, part of the Olympic team for Mexico. So, I mean, they're loaded. Good. They have a good squad. It's terrifying. Thank yes. God there's two bids for the Olympics. Ooh, Let that Alan, ship sail. Alan Cervantes. I mean, they have so many players. They have, Curado, that they have Cordoba. Lorraine, who's, who's playing America. every week. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Well, let me ask you this. It's going to be hard to, it, with that Ligia in place where 12 teams make the playoffs, it's going to be another crazy postseason there. Cruz Azul have been fantastic. They're at the top, seven straight wins. No way they win it, though. There's no way. <laughs> the way they lost the, it last year, there's, the way they, the, the way they, the, you know, they, they threw away the four 0 cushion. I felt so bad, and then the first two games of this season, Reynoso comes in and they lose, and you almost felt like they were like walking around feeling sorry for themselves and like, oh, we. But since then, they've been electric. But yeah, how many times have you seen the team put on a run in regular season and immediately go out in the playoffs because you know they, they've they've peak too early whatever it might be i think cruz azul have the ability to win the the Ligia, but would i bet against them over you know america maybe even leon if leon were a lower seed getting them i probably wouldn't you know and that's uh that's one of the things until they get over it they're going to hear it every every single time Ligia comes around leon's going to squeak in and win it and repeat yes. there you go or Tigres. it'll be a fun Tigres who are struggling as well yeah Tigres too they lost again yeah. this weekend yeah World Cup next winter in Qatar. Uh, story, the World Cup set to break the record for hospitality sales. It'll be 20% higher than it was in Brazil. Sales targets in excess of 260 million better than it was in Russia. USA, number two in worldwide hospitality. So a lot of tourists going out there. And there's also the undertones. And undertones is not the right word with the human rights situations in Qatar. It's going to be energy pushing against each other as we get closer. You can't diminish that. I saw Rosenborg uh, saying that they are going to boycott. They're a club in Norway. We're going to boycott the World Cup. So all this is going to continue going in there. But now the, the World Cup is approaching and the coverage of the World Cup is going to be unlike anything we've seen. It's obviously a winter World Cup. From our perspective in the United States, it's going to be competing with a lot of other sports, which is going to be a bit of a dilemma, but that falls on the shoulders of how the United States wants to perform. Hosp By the way, hospitality, the cheapest ticket's a thousand bucks, which sounds agreeable, but I bet you that thousand uh, dollar hospitality thing is, you know, like a cup of sparkling water and maybe a visor <laughs> that they said a cross on a cross on <laughs> so i mean it, it's i mean i could be way off base but just my perception is like it's one of the richest countries in the world what's it going to be like how expensive is it going to be for tourists what do you do it's a small country if you're a tourist do you stay there do you go venture out some other neighboring countries and make the most of it it obviously that's a little more tricky than you would find in europe or north america I, for one, I mean, this is going to be a World Cup that's going to be covered remotely, I think, in a lot of capacities. We'll see as we get closer. But, I mean, I I would want to go to every World Cup, Keith, but this is a World Cup that I just, I would probably rather stay at home and watch. Now, that said, you know, if they go, hey, you want to go? I'll, I'll go there in a minute. The, the, the alcohol is <laughs> another situation, you know? You're going to have to you're gonna have to really be creative where you can get a drink, and I don't, I'm not going to say I'm going there just to get – to get hammered watching games, I'll probably be working, but you do want to have a cocktail and you don't want to have to run. You're going to have a long day's work. You don't want to have to go to this designated hotel or this designated area. It's just, it's, it's not as appealing as it would be for 
certainly what we had in Brazil to a lesser degree in Russia, going back maybe when Germany had it, obviously when the United States will have it in four years' time. It's, it's, it's a thing. I think about it. Yeah, I, I do too. I'll say the first thing, it's the World Cup, and we've had it in so many different regions, and I think the, the, the chance to be in a region that we haven't had a World Cup in, it's important that we do that. We, we need to bring the world's game to every corner of the world. The human rights uh, issues and concerns are, are, are there and should be brought up and should be discussed because it's concerning for me. It should be concerning for everybody as well. Um, th those shouldn't be swept under the rug, um, you know, simply because it, it's it's bad publicity. We should be having those conversations. Um, you, you talk about the hospitality. It doesn't like get the hairs on the back of my neck standing up. Hospitality numbers are exceeded. Like, woo, I can't <laughs> wait to see what the numbers are going to be. They're for selling. They're yeah, selling. Yeah. But for me, it's like, you know, the common fan are, are the fans that, you know, make World Cups that, you know, uh, I'm from Ireland. I, I remember this moment, I covered the Euros in 2012 and I'm staying in this hotel with Grant Wall and we're walking down the, the hallway and there's an Irish fan sitting outside his hotel, has a bottle of whiskey. You can tell he's hammered and he's on the phone, I presume to his wife. And he's like, look, they can't take the house because we missed the mortgage payment. We'll figure it out next month. And, and I'm, I, I turned to Grant and I'm like, this guy's wife's at home sweating a mortgage payment and he's here supporting the team, spending all the money. Like, so for me, fans are going to go to these things regardless. They're going to find a way, but I hope we're not fleecing the, the, the common fan. I hope we're finding a way to make it about the, the, the regular people, not just about pull the red carpet out. Hey, we have the sponsors. Like, you know, I want the atmosphere inside those stadiums to be, you know, authentic, to be real, not, you know, the, the, the main sponsor getting all of the tickets and everybody having champagne and going, oh, let's leave the half five minutes early to go get in line. Oh, boo. Yeah, yeah. So you'd be like, hey, Bredos, Bredos is with that group that's leaving early. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, is that costing and serving the sandwiches? Um, but, you know, I, I look, ultimately, the World Cup never disappoints me. Sure. Um, it's, it's one of those things that you have your concerns and then it comes around and it's just like, wow, it, it's everything it's it's you know that, that one month of of competition so I, I love it whatever happens but there is some some more concerns probably than i've had in the past leading up to it i think the experience being there with a small country and all the fan bases interacting and seeing a, a sea of irish fans wait are they going to the world cup we don't know yet I mean, there's like 60 teams going to this one, I think. So, I mean, <laughs> well, if we don't make it now. No. And then you, you see Sam's Army, and then you, you'll see, you know, all these fans, the Argentines singing. That'll just, that'll, you know, obviously gloss over everything else, and you'd be, you would feel like you're in a very special World Cup. The human rights part is, you know, I, I was waiting for, for a reaction from FIFA or something, and it never happened. And we know these things are occurring, and they're pushing through here and they're going to play this world cup and we've got to make these, uh, we've got to make these situations aware, but it's going to, and it's going to come up during every game over every day. Uh, and part of you is going to say, well, I want to watch these games, but it's, it puts us in such an, a, an awkward situation, but we, we have to keep that dialogue going. And uh, it's just going to be part of this world cup. It's always going to be connected to it. And uh, it's, it's something that we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, 100% agreed, but it's, um, it, it feels so long away. And I, I think for the U.S. in particular, because we didn't qualify for the last World Cup, there's that added, you know, excitement. It's like, please get back. We have these young players now who I think are capturing all of our imaginations. You know, the Weston McKinney's who has, you know, the, the well, ability. Yeah, yeah. No, guys, I'm, I'm not. Ireland yeah, well, might not, but USA is qualified. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just give me some hope here. Just say, just for a moment, say we qualify. But no, I mean, for me, I've, I've been in America half my life. I want America to be there. T the excitement of seeing those guys on the big stage again, um, it's, it's, it's massive. So once the U.S. make it, and we will make it, um, I, I think all of a sudden the blood will start flowing a little bit, uh, a little bit quicker, and we'll be more excited for it. Good. We've been going on a lot longer than I thought, which I knew was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I, I could talk to you for hours. But I, I, there's one more topic I wanted to bring up because it happened recently with World Soccer Talk having a podcast, you know, Cardiff Krishnayer and Christopher Harris, about why there's so many English voices still in the American game. The reliance on the biggest names uh, are certainly English here when you look at NBC's coverage, ESPN's as well. Um, CBS has their Champions League studio in London. 
and it we are relying on it and it's it's always been it's always been an interesting dilemma and what how do we get what is the right way to present the sport and i agree with you and i think you 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 tweeted something said we get the best people and we need to get the best people because quite frankly a lot of the american voices don't don't have the chops just yet i want to help them build i want a young american announcer to come out of college and say soccer is my passion this is the sport i want to do and then they are popping up and i see some of those those guys and it's fantastic um it's a it's an interesting conversation i'll, I'll let you say what you want and i'll i'll, I'll follow up with some things because <laughs> i would just say this there's this is what how i could when people say about the english voices and you're irish obviously and you you are an outlier on it because you are you embrace American culture so way. The men in blazers are, are originally English guys and they embrace American culture and it really works. And that is a necessity. But I think sometimes when we have English broadcasters who aren't here, it loses something in that audience. You got to have those moments where you can uh, address being American in some situations. Say there's a game on the 4th of July and you say, all right, 4th of July, it's important here. Those little things I think go a long way. I would also add that something that I've experienced was there's a lot of games that I would do that would air in England and people would say, Hey, this is airing in England. And they'd say, no, it didn't air. They put it over with an English commentary. And I think in England, they put, they, they want English commentators for an English audience. And I, and I get it. And I think that's kind of what I say about that, that connection there between that broadcast. They're not ready to have an American broadcasting, a, soccer league say in the premier league certainly or an australian and irishman at that case so the united states does it we need it we benefit from it but it's sometimes not apples to apples when we look at it from like reverse engineer it a little bit and look at it towards from our perspective out does that make sense yeah no it it does and uh, i'm in this position i I don't want to say unique position because it's almost like we have so many issues in society right now, uh, nowadays, right now, talking about people coming from a privileged standpoint. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind in this country. Um, I've been in America since 1997, so I've spent more of my life in America than I did in Europe. I've no doubt that people have been hired based on their accent rather than what they're actually saying. I've no doubt about that. Um, I've had people say to me, I'm glad we have a European voice. And I, and, and it bugs me. I feel like turning to the person and go, well, then you're an idiot, okay? Because I, I want you to like me for what I'm saying, not the way I'm saying it. Uh, it it's, we see it with, you know, uh, women being involved in their sport. Oh, women can't call soccer games. Why can't they call soccer games? They can, they can, be, they can run countries. Angela Merkel can, you know, basically run the EU, but she can't, you know, she can't call a soccer game. Like, it's just, it's beyond these these old school rules that need to be broken down. Um, you know, for me, just because someone has an English voice doesn't make them better than an American voice. Um, and the other way around too, I don't like when someone tells me, well, I just want an American voice. I'm like, just want the best voice. And sometimes that's going to be American. And sometimes that's going to be an English voice or whatever it might be. But you know, if I turn on, you know, NBC tomorrow and it's Max Bredos calling Liverpool against Wolves, I'm going to be happy because I know you know the game. And that's not, that's not BS. You'd be on that's, the short list. People would be up there. They'd, they'd be no, riding in the streets. But, 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 <laughs> but for me, for me, it's, it's, it's because of similarity or, or you know, you're, you're used to something. Familiarity, should I say. Oh, I'm used to this. Well, okay. Well, you know, a week or two and you won't, you, you'll understand that this is someone better. And a lot of times, you know, I think that the, the people in charge are making decisions based on, their preference i would like american so that's what i'll go does it fit you know i like european does it fit like you said does it fit in the american sports landscape so i I have real issues with that for me it's about hiring the best person and and some of the best people for me are are american voices and and just the, the end part on that for me is i have a bigger issue with this guy calls another sport his voice would sound great if he calls soccer let's have him do it for me I call soccer. I have worked my whole life to 
become an expert in this game. You, we, we just talked before we came on here that we watch so many damn games. For me, if you're covering- <laughs> More than I care to mention. Yes. Tell my, ask my wife. <laughs> so if, if you're talking about someone that works another sport all year and then comes across and decides, it's, a, it, it's difficult. I could not go and do a basketball game. I, I don't care. I could not do it because my head, my heart is not invested in it. So for me, that's a concern as well. But, but yeah, I hate the idea that, oh, we need an English voice. That's complete. Uh, can I swear on this? No. Oh, no. BS. <laughs> complete BS. We need to get the best voices. And, and for me, a lot of my friends, I have conversations with you all the time, um, are, are, are American voices here as well. So let's, let's, cut that noise that it's english is best or this and that or, or, or american commentators are second no chance Absolutely you handled no that chance. very well keith and <laughs> I, I, to your point soccer has always been viewed as an experimental sport the way we cover it it always has and it, it's very frustrating because it should be given that same attention uh when i worked at espn baseball you get the baseball people you work on it the basketball you, there's no the audience knows so i think soccer we're, we're getting towards that but we need we need it from top tail. You need people that live it, breathe it, that can jump to responses, create a conversation, get it to be compelling because of the hours and hours of games that you have watched. So I think that's really important. I hope we move towards there. I will say, you know, and the, every, the English and Irish voices that I've heard here have been so great. And, you know, they put their homework in, they're based here and they do a fantastic job. I think the, the, losing something in translation from the English base because the English league is so massive. So everything that the English announcers from England that are based there, it goes through a prism from there. Sure. So I think when I look at some American voices that are making some headway and they mentioned Taylor Twelman on there and they, they mentioned some other folks as well about being an American, not as American or living in America, you see the sport in such more comprehensive ways you see it we like we could have a chat here about arsenal and tottenham hotspur and in a second we're talking chivas america the continental european stuff because the english league is so massive there i think everything kind of comes from that prism and you fill in the spots where i think a different approach would be more effective especially if you're talking about things outside of the premier league it's a huge sport and I think we need all the help we can get, but it's still a trial and error situation. And I hope we get there. I hope to make some of these young Americans whole, but you want to see these good candidates come through. And it's, we haven't quite hit that, that tilting point just yet, but we're getting there. Yeah, Maybe I, our kids. I, no, I, I think you just mentioned Taylor. I love listening to Taylor. I love listening to, you know, Marisa Du, Stu Holden, colleagues of mine that I, I think – you know, can hold her own with anybody in the world. You know, I'm talking about, you know, Scott, anybody in, in terms of holding a conversation, in-depth analysis, the commentators that, that are in this country. Um, I'm not going to list them because we're all in competition for the same job. So I don't want to let yeah, them I know, know that, I that I love them too. But I do. I, I mean, anybody in this business for me, you have my respect. Um, but, but yeah, you know, for me, we, we have to, you, you mentioned in England, I'll turn on and I'll hear two ex-players talk about you know, for instance, the Bundesliga, when Liverpool signed Naby Keita um, from the Bundesliga, it, it doesn't take long to watch him figure out he's an attack-minded midfielder. And we have two ex-English players going, yeah, well, I think because N'Golo Kante, um, he's a lot like him. And I'm like, because he's yes. small? Like, I, I mean, for me, that's lazy. And if you're... There's a lot of shortcuts from the punditry we hear all the time there because exactly, of that prism exactly. of the Premier League. Yeah. And, and, when they and said Reguillon is not a good... They go, he, Real Madrid didn't want him. I forgot who said that. I go, you, you've got to... No, you've, you've got, got to, to see what this guy's doing before you. You got to watch him at Sevilla last year and see that yeah. you know this, this guy's like. So for me, you know, the, the the bosses have to hold people accountable where, wherever it is. You can't just say I'm happy with that voice. It's like no, make sure are you a voice that's um, you know well versed in this. And if you're not, we'll replace you with someone who is. And and that for me is the most important thing. I said it, man, woman, you know, continent you're from, color of your skin. All of these things should never matter. It's about the content that you're putting out. Are you are you um, someone that is well versed? Are you someone that is educated on it? And uh, you know, for me, it's it, that's the only thing you should judge people on. And unfortunately, right now, it, it's not the case. We need to move more towards that. You did very well, Keithy. 
I don't think you, I don't think you knocked me off my OG perch, but you did very well today. <laughs> um, the, what's, what's it? LOG? Is that a uh, you watch Succession? L to the OG? I have to watch the last season. Oh, yeah, well, that's you'll you'll get the joke. You'll call me when you watch it. Okay, and I I get enough Brian Cox on these McDonald's commercials. Yes, he's that guy's raking it in. He, who does he sound like to you? Uh, a former uh, former uh, Dermot, boss of ours, Dermot McCoy. Dermot and I saw him at, at JFK Airport once, and I had to point it out to uh, to Dermot. I go, "Hey, that's Brian Cox." He's, "Oh yeah," and he said something, and I was like, "Dad, Dermot, you could you could come in a little hotter than that." Could have been and you. Could have been. I you. said something because he was <laughs> he was Braveheart's uncle in that movie, so I I did a yeah. line in a Scottish yeah. accent. And he looked at me like I was a lunatic, and I was like, "I'm sorry." He just wants to get on his airplane, <laughs> and here I am doing movie lines keith uh we'll, we'll check you out uh the sounders i know are coming up yep good luck with that and hearing league mx certainly here on uh on fox as we get towards the ligia here very soon always good to spend some time with you my friend max you're a legend thanks for having me uh, buddy. thank you that's the soccer og the business end where we return my ode to left footers in the game that's next Time now for stoppage time, my final thought here. And uh, I got this based on the news that Angel Di Maria was re-signing with Paris Saint-Germain for an additional year. The Argentine, one of my favorites, and I'm sure many people listening as well, such a specialist because he was left-footed. And what a career. Played for Real Madrid for four seasons, then Manchester United for a cup of coffee. And then since 2015, a regular for Paris Saint-Germain. It got me to thinking about the left-footed specialists and left-footed and left-handed athletes in general. I did some research on this one. So most leagues have between 20 and 23, 24% of their athletes are left-footed. Left-footed players, when you list the best regardless of foot, are at the top of many lists. Lionel Messi, Diego Maradona, maybe the two of the three greatest players of all time. Zinedine Zidane was two-footed. Roberto Carlos, obviously the best left-sided fullback, with an incredible free-kick ability. Ryan Giggs, Robin Van Persie, oh, Cruyff. Frank Puskas, I never watched a lot, but he was left-footed. Raul. Risto Stoichkov. I mean, some of these guys are down the pecking order, but were amazing. Gareth Bale, goalkeepers Peter Cech, Iker Casillas. Left-footed defenders, truly a weapon. Daniel Passarella, Paolo Maldini. Because when you're playing out of the back or playing as a defender, connecting lines, you are passing with that left foot. And passing with your left foot, you ask most coaches, it's it's something you can't really teach. It's just a, a skill you want on your team. And if you get it, it is an absolute luxury. When I think of the left-footed real specialist, I do think of Aryan Robin and Angel Di Maria. I think those are the contemporaries of our time. And I wonder if we're going to have that kind of output moving forward because left-footed, left left-handed athletes are a rarity. So statistically... In the United States, about 10% of males are left-handed, left-footed, either or. I, it's, I should preface this by being transparent. I was right-handed, right-footed, but I used to play rugby, and the coach said, you got to use your left foot, and I used my left foot, and I used it, and practice, and I just kept kicking only with my left foot, and what happened was I forgot to use my right foot, and it became useless, so I am now right-handed, left-footed, but when I still kick the ball around, it's pretty handy. And people are like, are you left-footed? Maybe it's because I kick terribly. And I go, yeah. So it always keeps people very honest. But the reason I thought about that is a small percentage of the population are lefties, are southpaws. The NFL, you have Tua Tungavailoa, who's the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. He's left-handed. Prior to his arrival for about three years, there were zero left-handed quarterbacks in the NFL. That's not really an advantage being that left-handed quarterback because you're not facing people on the left like you did in soccer or in baseball where you're throwing to a right-handed batsman. As we know in baseball, lefties are a hot commodity. 
you've got to have left-handers. And again, based on the population numbers, there's not a lot out there. You can't have a successful baseball team without having effective left-handed pitchers. And the great ones, Randy Johnson, Sandy Koufax, the left-handed hitters, Babe Ruth. You see this, the, a lot of the cream at the top. I love just, it's just something watching a left-footer going through the midfield, dribbling, passing. It's, it, it just has a different, it has a different feel. Maybe because I'm a left-footer now, because I'm loyal to lefties and righties, as I, as I explained. But maybe that's just exactly the sweet spot. So hopefully we'll see more of them. But I wonder if we do. Rivaldo. Marcelo Salas, I think he was left. Georgie Haji, David Silva. One, one item why left-footers are so effective, and I, I forgot the name of the, the soccer player who said this, but left-footers are usually better with their right then right-footers are with their left. They don't really use their left. Left-footers always know it's probably good to have a right foot that's effective because I might be coming in off the left. You know, left-footers too, because when you have defenders, like if you're going at them, you know you can move to the outside on your left foot, and that's going to cause all sorts of problems. They want you to move inside, but they know you want to move inside, so the mind games certainly play. But I believe that the left footers really educate their right where it doesn't happen in reverse. Pele, right footer, very good with his left, I think. And Zidane. You can see it's rarefied air. And it's always good to have a discussion about these kind of things with you. And the Soccer OG, please subscribe, rate and review while you're there. We'll continue to have great guests like Keith. And we're just going to have a good football conversation. And to the righties or the lefties, We'll talk to you next week with Soccer OG. So long.